as pianist competition for 2019, uh, where we will focus and air on the trio finals that will start at 7 p.m. It is now 6 p.m. Stay tuned for the WBAI Evening News being presented by The Independent. Stay tuned. Good evening. In the news tonight, protests that ousted Sudan's longtime ruler continue for civilian rule. Trump tweets Congresswoman Ilhan Omar faces death threats. The cost of riding the subway goes up, and Queens becomes a flashpoint in a movement for criminal justice reform on the local level. You are listening to the Evening News on WBAI 99.5, hosted by The Independent, New York's free, reader-supported progressive newspaper. I'm the Indies Associate Editor, Peter Rue. Beginning with international news, a massive fire engulfed the roof of Notre Dame Cathedral in the heart of Paris Monday, toppling its spire and sending thick plumes of smoke high into the sky above the French capital. Prosecutors have opened an investigation. There were no reported deaths. In Sudan, soldiers attempted to break up anti-government protests in the capital cartoon on Monday but backed off after protesters refused to leave their encampment outside the military's headquarters. Sudan's military last week ousted longtime President Omar al-Bashir, saying it was responding to the demands of the people. A military council has taken over, but protesters remain camped outside Army HQ, demanding a civilian government. German prosecutors have charged former Volkswagen CEO Martin Winterkorn and an additional four executives with fraud and other offenses in connection with the company's massive, multi-year effort to cheat on diesel emissions testing. Prosecutors said the defendants were part of an ongoing deception that started in 2006. Volkswagen admitted in 2015 to installing software in its vehicles that hid emissions of nitrogen oxides, a pollutant linked to respiratory illness. Wintercorn and the others face up to 10 years' imprisonment. Ecuador's president, Lenin Moreno, tells the UK Guardian that WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange repeatedly violated his asylum conditions and tried to use the Ecuadorian embassy in London as a center for spying. This comes after a photo circulated showing Moreno lounging in bed with a giant plate of lobster in front of him. Speculation is that the photo may have spurred Julian Assange's eviction from the country's London embassy. London police dragged Assange out of the embassy on Thursday after his seven-year asylum was revoked, paving the way for his extradition to the United States for one of the biggest ever leaks of classified information. Riding a populist wave across Europe and campaigning to slow down Finland's efforts to fight climate change, the Eurosceptic Finns party came within 7,000 votes of winning the country's parliamentary election on Sunday. With all votes counted, the Social Democrats, the far-right Finns Party, and the center-right National Coalition Party were separated by only two seats in Parliament, which will make negotiations over forming Finland's next coalition government difficult. In national news, Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar says she's faced increased death threats since President Donald Trump tweeted a video Friday night that purports to show her being dismissive of the 2001 terrorist attacks on the World Trade Center. Trump escalated the feud with Omar and fellow Democrats Monday morning, tweeting that Omar is out of control except for her control of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. None of Trump's tweets nor the video he posted include Omar's full quote or the context for her comments, which were about erosion of Muslim civil liberties after 
Virginia Governor Ralph Northam pulled out of an event Sunday where he would have faced protesters for wearing blackface in the 1980s. Northam cited safety concerns for canceling his appearance at a Sunday fundraiser. Northam has faced calls to step down since February after a racist photo surfaced of him from his 1984 medical school yearbook page. It included a photo of a person in blackface standing next to someone wearing a Ku Klux Klan outfit. Northam first admitted, then denied, being in the photo. But he has admitted to wearing blackface while portraying Michael Jackson at a dance party in the 1980s. The price of getting around NYC is going up once more. Starting April 21, weekly Metro cards will run riders $33, up from $32. The cost of a monthly card will rise by 6 bucks to $127. That's nearly a 60% increase over what it cost a decade ago. Strap hangers have expressed frustration at having to pay more for service that has substantially declined. Fares, tolls, and taxes paid by city dwellers already comprise 70% of the Metropolitan Transit Authority's budget, while Governor Andrew Cuomo and others in Albany have balked at putting additional funds forward to maintain and improve the struggling train system. Congestion pricing and a one-time transactional tax on the sale of second homes approved by lawmakers last month could change that, but for now the MTA continues to balance its budget on riders' backs. As strap hangers pay more to commute, the city is subsidizing rides for their seafaring counterparts. A recent report from the Nonpartisan Citizen Budget Commission found that NYC is subsidizing its ferry system to the tune of nearly $11 per ride. The cost of a planned ferry route to Coney Island is expected to run taxpayers $24 per ride when it opens later this year. The city is committed to spending nearly $600 million on its ferry system over the next three years, despite a ridership that is seasonal and heavily comprised of tourists. The New York City Housing Authority has been slow making repairs for the 400,000 New Yorkers in its public housing facilities, but acted swiftly when it came to evicting a 72-year-old amputee late last year. The elderly gentleman owed the Housing Authority $800, but was unable to pay because he was recovering from surgery. Bronx Borough President Ruben Diaz Jr. is demanding the Housing Authority restore his tenancy. Meanwhile, Diaz's father, City Councilmember Ruben Diaz Sr., has announced he is running for Congress in the Bronx in 2020. Diaz Sr., who drew headlines in February for claiming a secret cabal of gays controls New York, says he will be a voice for moderates. He hopes to replace Representative Jose Serrano, who will not be seeking re-election. More news after this break. Welcome back to WBAI Evening News, hosted by The Independent, New York's progressive newspaper. I'm Peter Rue. And we turn now to Queens. The borough has become a flashpoint in the nationwide movement to radically reform local district attorney's offices. 
with the retirement of longtime Law and Order DA Richard Browns, Queens is seeing its first competitive DA race in decades. In the run-up to the hotly contested June 25th Democratic primary, the Indy is providing extensive coverage of the race, and we're joined by the man on the beat, Theodore Hamm. Welcome, Ted. Great, great to have you on the program. Thanks, Peter. Good to be here. Excellent, excellent. Um, so let's take a wide-angle look at this Queens DA race a little later in the broadcast. But first, let's let's talk about um, the man on the way out, and uh, and that that is DA Richard Brown. And I understand he's so he's been in office for over twenty-five years, and he's one of these law and order types. Uh, why don't you fill us in a little bit about Richard Brown's record, Ted? Sure. Well, uh, what's interesting now as Brown is on his way out is that his two top deputies, the one who's the acting DA, John Ryan, and now the number two, uh, James Quinn, they are uh, stridently defending Brown's record as a reformer, uh, claiming that he was an innovator, citing stuff that he did that was comparable to what Hines was doing, Mm. Joe Hines was doing in Brooklyn. Uh, around the turn of the century. So um, none of it's terribly new, but it's alternatives to incarceration programs, drug treatment courts, and that sort of stuff. Um, but they're, they're fighting back against the idea that Brown was no reformer at all. Um, so that's what's, which is his reputation and certainly what most of the candidates are saying about him. Huh. So, uh, yeah, that's not a very good place to start if uh, the candidates that are running as reformers are saying the old guy on the way out was uh, was a reformer in his own right. Let's take a no, look. No, 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 I'm sorry, the candidates are not. The candidates are saying he was not a reformer. But oh, I see. The people, the, people, the people who he's turned over the reins to, mm. uh, the old guard in the office, they're claiming that Brown was a reformer and that the candidates are, mis, are misrepresenting his record. Hmm. So there's a, a debate going on between the, the old guard that's still in the office and likely wants to stay in the office or at least preserve their reputation such that it is, and then the, the candidates who are all running on varying degree, as varying degrees of reform, reformers. Mm, I see, I see. Uh, thank you for correcting me. And let's talk about uh, Brown's record uh, most recently, because if we want to take a look at his prosecutorial office, um, we have a very recent example of the, of the way he's prosecuted cases in Queens. And I'm talking, of course, about the trial of Chanel Lewis. That was your most recent piece for independent.org, Ted. And um, let's talk about the way that trial was handled. And I take it, you know, you view this as indicative of the way things have been done in Queens. And it, the trial took place as the rest of the state was heading in a different direction. So for perhaps you could basically just give us some background on the Lewis case and the way evidence was presented by prosecutors. Sure. Uh, Lewis uh, was being retried. He, the first trial ended in a mistrial uh, in November. For, this is for the murder of Howard Beach jogger Karina Vetrano. Mm. And so then the second trial took place over the last few weeks in uh, at the Queen's Courthouse, and then the, the sentencing is now on this coming Wednesday. And Carano's um, father and was very vocal in the press about wanting justice for uh, his daughter, and the, the prosecutors must have been on a lot of media uh, pressure and, and wanted to get a conviction in this case. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the, the, the judge is very, seems very sympathetic. Uh, judge Alois, it's, pronounced, it's spelled Alois, but pronounced Alois, 
Uh, and um, the prosecutor, obviously, uh, and the family was uh, stridently convinced that Janelle Lewis was the, or Channel Lewis was the um, killer, but there are still lots of questions remain that remain about how the evidence was requir- required, acquired and so on. Um, but the, what I wrote about was uh, the tactics of the prosecutor mm. in the trial, in the retrial, the medical examiner who testified in the first trial uh, was scheduled to testify again in the second trial. And I had to be there on day four of the trial. Uh, and before it started, the prosecution walked over to the defense and said, hey, here's a new report that we just received from the medical examiner where she examined some hand injuries that Chanel Lewis, Chanel Lewis had, had um, suffered, uh, gone to the hospital for the next day after the murder, and she was analyzing now some blood cultures uh, that she did not analyze in advance of the first trial and um, quite conspicuously uh, only presented those findings in the middle of the second trial. And most uh, people familiar with these issues would say that's known as trial by ambush when the prosecution uh, suddenly discloses new evidence to the defense. And that's really what happened here. Judge Alois had the opportunity to uh, deny that evidence coming into the trial, but of course he sided with the prosecution. So that's one of many grounds for appeal in that case uh, that, uh, will, that will play out over the next couple of years. And if the appellate division overturns their conviction, then it will be up to the next Queens DA whether to retry the case. So there's lots of issues at stake uh, for how the, how the next prosecutor, uh, next DA will uh, instruct her or his prosecutors to handle trials and whether they will continue to practice what this, uh, as I said, it's called trial by ambush or sandbagging uh, when the prosecution really stacks the deck against the defense. And um, as very, you know, very that, sneaky. Yeah. Cause at the same yeah. time, uh, maybe even the same day actually, but lawmakers up in Albany were in the process of making it easier for defendants to access the evidence against them. So, you know, we yeah. know, Albany's got a lot of problems, but we have now uh, full uh, democratic control of the lower chamber and the upper chamber of the legislature. And they seem to be moving in one direction while in Queens we're still very much stuck in that old uh, in that old mode. Um, uh, So this trial was indicative of that uh, indicative of that. I, I take it, Ted. Sure. It really does seem it did seem out of sync with the new direction or the, and, and the repeal of the blindfold law took place in Albany sport and signed by Cuomo. Uh, and now takes New York from one of the uh, most retrograde states in terms of its discovery practices. Uh, now puts it in the, in the vanguard, I think, as far as a, what many people are saying. At least. Mm. So we'll be back in a moment. We're going to talk about some of these people that are, are running to change things in Queens. And of course we've seen uh, a lot of success in the local level uh, with, with criminal justice, legal reform taking place. It's certainly not going to be happening on the federal level with the Trump Justice Department. But uh, things are getting done locally, and, and Queens might be the next spot. So we'll be back to talk more about the candidates in the race with the Indies Ted Ham in a moment.
say everything can be replaced. They say every distance is not near. And welcome back. You're listening to the Evening News on WBAI 99.5, hosted by The Independent. I'm The Independent's associate editor, Peter Rue, and I'm joined tonight by reporter Ted Ham. We're discussing the Queens District Attorney race, where a primary is slated for June 25th, and a packed slate of candidates, each calling themselves reformers, are seeking to replace longtime DA Richard Brown. But not all candidates who claim to be progressives are the same. So, Ted, uh, let's run through some of these, some of the main contenders. There's a lot of them. We have about 10 minutes, but uh, I want to make sure our listeners are informed. So perhaps we can start with Borough President Melinda Katz. You note she was recently picked, uh, picked up the support of the Union 32BGA. That's a large building service union here in the city. And interestingly enough, Katz was in, in support of Amazon HQ2 deal, of that big deal that listeners to this program will know would have uh, meant taxpayers giving $3 billion to the richest company on earth. And so was 32BJ, since they stood to gain some jobs from the project. Uh, so that's an interesting example that you've noted in your reporting for the Indy. But tell us a little bit more about CATS. Sure. As uh, borough president, I mean, that's kind of the expectation that she's going to have a close relationship with real estate interests mm-hmm. that are looking to um, expand or build large projects in the borough. And the question, though, is you know how much does that really um, affect her decision making when she once she gets into office, if she becomes the DA, uh, what, what will she do when uh, there was an article in the, the new publication, The City, about uh, whether she'll prosecute construction accidents at construction sites. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, developers have a, a lot of clout, obviously. Um, they have a lot of media influence as well, so they can make your life difficult uh, in so many ways. So uh, that's a main source of her um, funding. I guess the, the bigger question for Katz is sort of what's her vision? Is she really um, motivated for this office, or is it just another office for someone who's term-limited mm. as borough president? And thus far, I, I haven't seen anything that sets her apart from the other candidates or makes her sound like she has a real innovative um, agenda. Hmm. I mean, I guess she has some name recognition. Maybe that will work in her favor. Uh, well, that's true. And she has the backing, the, the, the backing of the Queens County machine. Keep hmm. in mind that under that under Crowley, obviously AOC uh, took him out. Um, <laughs> then now he's no longer the party boss. Greg Meeks, congressman uh, from Queens, is the party boss and is, is backing cats. But uh, the machine does seem a bit in disarray, their their candidate in the public advocate special election in uh, February was Danny O'Donnell, who finished way down mm. uh, the list. So I don't know if the, just having the backing of the party machine is enough to say that she's and and the name recognition, obviously. I mean, she's obviously a contender, but you can't say that she's just a sure thing. 
Yeah, different new times thanks to AOC up in Queens, and uh, I would love to. We're going to get to Tiffany Caban, who is uh, like AOC, was endorsed by the Democratic Socialist of America. She was the dark horse in the race, but maybe not so dark anymore. Um, but let's let's cover some of these these other folks a little bit first uh, before we get to her. And I'm really excited about her, but I want to save the best for last. We got Queens Judge Greg Lasick. Am I saying his name right? And he's got the law enforcement exactly. unions behind him so uh, what's his story well he was a long time uh, district attorney prosecutor under brown mm. uh and then he became a judge with the backing of the party machine mm. no one no one gets to be a judge without the backing of the party machine in queens um, sometimes it's happened in brooklyn it's another story mm. uh, <laughs> but um <laughs> the uh so his you know he, he did have some cases that he uh wrongful convictions that he helped to overturn that's his main claim as a reformer. Uh, he's come out stridently against uh, closing Rikers, uh, and he's got the backing of these law enforcement unions. He definitely is, uh, you know, the examples he cites of his record are from the past, right? If you see him at a forum or stuff he sends tweets out and so on, it's something from 1995, case from 1995 and so on. So it's hard to make the case that he's, uh, on the cutting edge of anything. Wow. Um, and you say he was appointed to a, a judgeship. I mean, and you alluded to this, well, but like, we should let folks like, know, like, uh, you've written a lot about how uh, those appointments are used as a, a form of patronage. Am I correct? Uh, in Queens and in Brooklyn? Uh, well, they, 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 the, the party machine picks the candidates to go mm. onto the ballot. So mm. they, they can claim that they're elected, but they have to go through the machine. Mm. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know enough about what it, when he ran for election, the circumstances in the early 2000s, who he was competing against, so I can't speak to that, but uh, he's definitely been around the office for quite a long time now. And uh, Mina Malik, she seems very much uh, entrenched in the criminal justice system on the side of the law herself. Am, am I correct? She's running as well? Mina Malik, yeah. She's, yeah. Um, I think it's Malik, or maybe you're pronouncing it correctly, <laughs> uh, that um, she... Uh, she was a prosecutor in the Queen's office for quite a long time, actually, mm. uh, 15 years or so. Since in the last few years, she's she helped uh, Ken Thompson's administration get off the ground in Brooklyn. Uh, then she went over to the CCRB and had a short stint there, and it, she left with some accusations of uh, sexual harassment against um her predecessor there, and so the on. The CCRB, so, for uh, listeners that are unfamiliar with the acronym? Oh, uh, Civilian Complaint Review. Board. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> we talk in acronyms. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and also in this race, we got Lori, uh, so, excuse me, Rory Lanceman. I know he's been pretty vocal about uh, the NYPD targeting young men of color for turnstile hopping, and he's pledged if he's elected, you know, that, that will not become a process, that'll be a, uh, not be something that you would get involved in the legal system for. It'd be much more like, uh, you know, when you don't leave your trash out, you'd get a ticket of, of some kind. Um, so he's he's been very vocal about this issue, at least. I think it's probably because he was thinking about running for DA. Uh, uh, what are his chances? And, 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 yeah, let's talk about Lanceman for well, a I minute. Think, well, I think he's... What's his record? Uh, like? had his sights on the DA's office for a while now. Mm-hmm. And um, he has done some stuff... At, through the city council, the uh, committee he chairs on, on justice, um, and uh, you know he's looking at 
uh, weed um, disparities in weed arrests and so on, fair evasions, uh, fair and the enforcement. Um, and he's been calling attention to a, a lot of issues, and he has um, fairly good uh, recognition among reform-oriented uh, that crowd and the the the, the close Rikers um, um, activists and so on. But the, I think his problem now is that he's not the the, the new face of, of reform, which is Caban. So he's really trying to figure out his path to victory is um, unclear. So he's got some allies, uh, James, Sand- James Sanders, um, down in southeast uh, Queen State Senator. Um, and that's going to be where a lot of the vote, a lot of the candidates are going to be targeting, looking for votes. So, you know, Queens is an interesting geographic distribution of votes. And each of the candidates is going to target different areas. And that, certainly that's one that's where there are a lot of votes and they're up for a lot of the candidates are, are going to approach that area uh, looking for them. Mm. Um, and a lot of, actually, a lot, I looked through a bunch of the signatures on the ballot um, petitions and many were from uh, Jamaica for many of the candidates. So, uh, it's a place to go. You know where you're going to find voters there, and so on. Hmm. And uh, last but not like black, um, black, I should say black voters, largely black community. I see. I see. And of course, Queens is a very diverse borough, so it's interesting to see where people are getting their pockets of support. Uh, and but moving, I don't want to forget about Tiffany Caban because she is the socialist-backed candidate. She's a public defender who's taking on her opponents for their job for her post, and she's won the endorsement of the Working Families Party. Of course, the Democratic Socialist, as I mentioned earlier. She's got Julia Salazar, and uh, and more recently, she's got Jimmy Van Brammer, um, who is a politician that's not unfamiliar with the Queen's machine, but he's he's also very adept at knowing where the wind blows. He came out against the Amazon. On deal, um, so it looks like Tiffany Cabana is really picking up some momentum. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about her and her stances and, and what what she wants to do with the office? Sure. Uh, well, just in the Van the Van Bramer uh, point too is that the, the working families connection there is strong, mm. um, and it gives her uh, credibility among elected officials. So it's not just and Salazar as well, but Van Bramer's been, been around Queens longer, or Salazar's from Brooklyn, obviously, but. Um, that uh, you know, so that's giving her more uh, name recognition and more official rec- elected official recognition. So that's make, that makes her more of a viable contender every in each with, with each of these endorsements. That seems more possible. Um, so yeah, I mean, her vision of full um, uh, basically legalization of sex work, um, although that's not something that the um, DAs can fully control, but full, full decriminalization. Um, and um, on down the line, I mean, the, uh, the way she's approaching it as a public defender is through, uh, you know, the, the lens of restorative justice, transformative justice, I think is what she calls it, mm. and so on. So she's really got an, an activist orientation, but she's seen uh, the stages of the, uh, the way the DAs can uh, affect people's lives at every stage of the process, through from arraignment, through, um, through trial and conviction and so on. Yep. yep, she certainly seems to be positioning herself as the people's candidate. We're running out of time, Ted, but 30 seconds. Uh, what do you see as the implications for this Queens DA race beyond the borough um, in, in maybe across the city, the state, and nationally in terms of uh, upending the old system and, and, and really pushing for reform on a local level? Well, it's, Queens is bigger than uh, Philly or, or Boston or uh, mm. It's the eighth largest county, so and it's obviously you're here in 
New York City where anything can blow up nationally. So she has a chance to really push to the left of some of the uh, existing reformers. She's really on, on, in sync with, with Larry Krasner in Philly, uh, who's the most left of, of the existing DAs. So it's, you know, this is this, uh, a good, foot, good, good foothold for that vision here in the city. All right. If you're in Queens, don't forget to get out and vote on the Democratic primary June 25th. You've been listening to the WBAI Evening News hosted by The Independent. Be sure to uh, catch Ted's reporting at uh, indypendent.org. That's independent.org. And, of course, in the print edition of the next Independent, uh, available citywide. We won't be on air next week, but you can tune in the week after uh, and tune in next Monday for some special Earth Day programming. Thank you for listening, everyone. Good night. turned 65 on April 24th, the mobilization for Mamiya remains ever vigilant to obtain his release. While his case is on appeal in the Pennsylvania Superior Court, we say the people united will never be defeated. Join the Free Mamiya Abu Jamal Coalition in Philadelphia on Saturday, April 27th. Celebrate the release of his new book, America's Favorite Pastime, Volume 11 of Murder, Inc. Trilogy. To reserve your seat on the bus, leaving from New York City, call the Free Momia Coalition Hotline, 212-330-8029. That's 212-330-8029.